Feminist Coffee Hour podcast. You can find us at feministcoffeehour.com, on Twitter at femcoffeepod, or you can send us an email to feministcoffeehour at gmail.com. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. And today we have a very special guest. Caroline, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Caroline Piella Cohen. I am a lawyer. I practice pregnancy discrimination, sexual uh, harassment, and gender discrimination law in the city of New York. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I have some questions from some of our listeners uh, that they wanted to ask you about gender and pregnancy discrimination. But before we get to those questions, is there anything that you want to talk about, like any one-on-one stuff that people should know that they don't know? Another brief introduction. I recently joined Crummiller PC, which is my friend's firm, which is, it's really kind of like a cute, funny story. Works well for formats like this, where, yeah, we met in a mom's group. We both live in Brooklyn and it was great. Like our kids are, we have two children apiece. Our kids are both almost exactly the same age. And it was rad. Like she was an amazing litigator in a firm that did housing rights. I worked for the city of New York doing housing law as well. I was prosecutor for NYCHA for many years. And um, she had a falling out with her supervisor, the name partner in her prior firm. And he tried to screw her out of maternity leave. Like he started barraging her with emails and phone calls saying, you have to come back when her second child was about six weeks old. And she was like, forget that I'm leaving and I'm starting my own firm that's dedicated to pregnancy discrimination and fighting for rights of women. I began to slowly fall out of love with my job for various reasons. But the beginning of the end is when I was working part-time for about a year and my employer told me that I had to come back, not through an email, a phone call, an in-person visit, but I just saw my name appear on a schedule one day. I was like, oh, I have to be in court on Friday. That's funny. I didn't know that I'm working full time now. That was really the beginning of the end for me. And then I just decided to join the firm. So uh, in terms of 101 stuff, it's various and sundry. The rules of the game are changing in a way that really significantly benefits women in the city of New York and the state of New York. We are going to see the dawn of the paid, the New York State Paid Family Leave Act in January 2017, which is so rad, I can't even tell you. It's not as great as, you know, what we see in like say Canada or European countries, but in terms of the United States, this New York State law is by far one of the best in the entire country. And fun fact, If any of you listeners are knocked up right now, if you are going to have a kid soon, that means that you, yes, you can take off with uh, a paid leave in 2018. It's great because it spans 52 weeks. So what that means is that if you say have a child tomorrow, for instance, you will be able to take your leave within 52 weeks of when that child is born. so long as there's like an eight week period in 2018, which I think is awesome. So it doesn't only cover babies that are born in 2018. You can also take advantage of this in 2017. Also really interesting. Uh, it's a phase in So, you know, I would like to see it be 100 percent up and running, you know, on January 1st, 2018. Unfortunately, that's not the case. You will get eight weeks paid leave at, I believe, 60 percent of your weekly pay. 
And there is a cap out. I think for the if your weekly pay exceeds like $600, the most you can get is like $600 a week. But still, that's way more than I saw, for instance, when I took leave uh, two years ago and five years before that. That's way more paid leave than I think Liz saw. And also, New York State has a short-term disability program, which a lot of women don't know about. Liz, did you take short-term disability? I did. Um, and it's kind of silly because in New York State, it says up to half of your pay, but there's a cap on it. And the yeah. cap on it is um, like $170. Yeah. And I did the math and that's only half of someone's pay who's making less than minimum wage. So it's yeah. half of no one's pay if you're yeah. if your employer is following other laws. But my employer was actually really great and they took out a separate private insurance Oh, that's... Um, policy. And so what they did was they actually gave me half of my pay. They gave me full pay for six weeks and then half of my pay for another 10 weeks. That's amazing. That's I, amazing. I, I, actually, some of those 10 weeks I was taking vacation. So it was like two weeks vacation and then like eight weeks half pay and six weeks. You had a sweet deal. That's I, really, I really oh, did. And, and I, you great. know, I'm not going to say the name of it, but I just work for a medium sized nonprofit in New York City and they really care about their employees. And that's very rare in 2017. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a job, so. <laughs> no, that's really, that's very special. Do you know other women that took short-term disability? Because I feel like it's not as common as you think it would be. I think that my employer only instituted the six weeks paid very recently in the past one or two years. And before that, most women at my job did take the short-term disability in part because of the separate insurance policy. Oh, okay. So, well, to all your listeners, uh, to the extent that you don't know, if you are pregnant, you are eligible for short-term disability, which is, you know, another, you know, couple hundred dollars in your pocket. Oh, but you cannot combine that with the paid, the money that you will receive from the paid family leave. It can't be taken concurrently. You have to do one and then the other. For our listeners, could you contrast that to the current federal laws so for somebody who's not in new york state just kind of Absolutely. we can't do each state but maybe just the federal yeah it's pretty slim it's called fmla the family medical leave act and what it does is the bare minimum in my opinion it protects you from getting fired if you uh, leave to take care of a child that you either give birth to, adopt, or joins your family through foster care, uh, you're able to take a maximum of 12 weeks unpaid, you know, underlined exclamation point unpaid, but you do get to keep your health insurance for that period of time. But the thing with FMLA is, and again, I feel like a lot of people don't realize this, is that it's only for people who are employed by companies that have 50 people or more. So if you're in a small business, you're really kind of in trouble um, in that regard. You don't have that sort of federal protection, which is unfortunate. And that stands in contrast, though, to the New York State paid family leave, as well as New York State disability. If there are one or more employees, your employer is on the hook. But then again, it is self-funded. It is funded by employees. You you likely would have started seeing deductions already. There was actually one of a, a question from a listener that we got. And the question was, if you're taking FMLA, can you be laid off during that period if there's company-wide layoffs going on? I mean, I, I would be curious what 
the individual circumstances are, but generally speaking, I would say that would be pretty illegal and pretty dumb of the company to lay you off. And if that person woe betide that company, if that person was laid off, I would encourage them to speak to myself or my colleague Susan as soon as possible. I think that would be it, it would be pretty damaging because one of the major benefits of FMLA is that you do have that protection. It doesn't offer you any pay, but it offers you security. Does that matter if it's the mother or the father taking FMLA? Was no, no, it does not. And the same thing with paid family leave. It is for both parents. Um, and the whole thing about paid family leave, the more I learn about it, the more I like it. I'll get into other reasons why I like it in a second. But it's for both parents. It's specifically for bonding with your child, whereas FMLA, you know, is much broader. Uh, you know, it, oftentimes people take it in a very necessary circumstance. If, God forbid, your spouse, parent or child is very ill and you need to care for them. If you're very ill, you need to care for yourself. But it's, you know, delightfully forward thinking to see a piece of legislation that's specifically geared towards like bonding with your child and both parents at that, not only, you know, mom. Also, with the Paid Family Leave Act, uh, your immigration status does not matter which I thought was really amazing. And that further bolsters New York State being a sanctuary state to the extent that it can be. Uh, I thought that was really wonderful. So here's another question from a listener. This person had a job as um, like a cleaning staff and they were fired when they told their employer that they were pregnant and the person said that they were worried about liability if any of the soap or cleaning chemicals cause a birth defect. They actually said oh. that. Is that legal? That is so illegal. <laughs> that is so illegal. Title seven, uh, which is a federal law, specifically prohibits against that sort of employment move. Does this person, out of curiosity, live in New York City? At the time, no. They lived in another state in the southeast. Oh, okay. So I'll go through the hierarchy of discrimination laws shortly. But uh, yeah, so Title VII federal law specifically prohibits against employers treating pregnant women differently than other employees and specifically prohibits against specific tasks not being given to pregnant employees. But what they are supposed to do on the flip side is present reasonable accommodations to the employee. And that's anything that doesn't cause an undue hardship, quote unquote, undue hardship on the employer. And um, that could be something like providing, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's case law on this, providing the domestic uh, worker with gloves, specific types of gloves that perhaps, you know, would prevent the caustic cleaning products from coming in contact with her skin or alternatively some sort of like respirator mask to prevent her from routinely breathing in uh, those sort of chemicals. They're very, I mean, pregnant women having been pregnant twice, you know, we are very robust, you know, of course, you know, there are definitely safeguards that need to be put in place. And that's why there are laws in place to ensure that those reasonable accommodations are given. But by no stretch of the imagination, should an employer ever prospectively fire an employee for fear that she would uh, become ill herself or endanger the welfare of her as of yet unborn child. It doesn't work like that. 
So with this as a verbal interaction, how would you advise somebody who's had this said to them to respond in order to protect themselves? I told her, I said, get a lawyer. I said, do something. But she <laughs> said, I need to find another job right away. That's got to be my number one priority. So it's, it's unfortunate that that's the way that it happens because she was so vulnerable. You know, yes or no. I mean, it depends because when I hear domestic, when I hear someone that was working in the domestic care industry, the pink collar industry, so to speak, those typically are a class of people. I mean, sometimes they're unionized, sometimes they're not, but frequently they are at the whim. She wasn't. She wasn't unionized. Not at the time, no. Yeah. Uh, you are more at the whims of employers than I certainly would like to see. But I am, you know, working on a case right now where someone made a comment to one of my clients uh, to the effect of, oh, you would have this position when you come back from your maternity leave if you didn't go on maternity leave. That's fairly explicit. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was very clear. It was very clear. So, you know, it, it was kind of a bold move on their part, I have to say. But my client, you know, emailed and was like, per a prior conversation, you said to me that I would still have this position if I didn't take maternity leave. So what I have to say in response to your question is document, document, document. You send that email that says, hey, on X date at Y time, we had this conversation where you said blah, blah, blah. And then you back them into a corner and then you hire me <laughs> if they don't back down. <laughs> so here's another question. This was someone in a similar situation, but had a little bit more privilege. They were working in an academic institution as a primary investigator. <laughs> so th this person worked for a university. I don't want to say which one. I don't remember, honestly, if it was public or private. But they worked for a university in a science department in two different labs at the time. Were they unionized? And I don't know. I don't think so. I, not many graduate students are unionized. A few are, but not many. But anyway, they had been in this position for two or three years where they were getting half time from one lab, half time from another lab. They were just about to sign their contract for the next year. They disclosed that they were pregnant because they needed to start using those extra gloves and extra masks to, to right. protect their yeah. child. And one of the uh, labs said, great. And the other lab, suddenly the contract disappeared. Oh, yeah. Is that <laughs> legal? Was she employed and the contract was moving forward? Or? Yeah, it was. Okay. she said it was written up. All she had to do was sign it. So she was planning to sign it on a Monday and on a Friday she disclosed and Monday it wasn't there anymore. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. Mm, I, I don't feel too good about that. That sounds like a, uh, what we call a pretextual termination. You know, like the pregnancy was a pretext for her being terminated. Was it, what were the reasons why she was not offered the contract? I think they, what did they said say? that it wasn't in their budget anymore, but the contract had existed. It said everything was drawn up, but I hadn't signed it yet. I told everyone on Thursday, on Monday, they suddenly had no more money. Yeah, that's really suspicious. That is highly suspicious. That does not sound great. You know, just on the facts that you presented. I don't love that. So I would recommend that she start, you know, like assuming that she still is interested in this position, start writing emails right now, you know, lay out the timeline, CC everybody, you know, she possibly can, including like who, I mean, I'm curious what the labor hierarchy is. Like if there's, is there an HR department? 
Who's in charge of this contract? You know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I, I was so glad to have you on the show because I think I'm the only person I know who's had a child who doesn't have a story like this. And I was saying to Karen, you know, the day that I sent out requests for questions, I got just flooded by old friends. I didn't get a lot through our Reddit or through our Twitter. I got a few, but I was just flooded. And I just, this is so depressing because I went back to, to hear these stories over again that I had known about. But a lot of these are stuff that happened, you know, up to five years ago. So it's not anything people can take action on now, but I just want to give these examples because I think they're pretty common just so people listening know that various permutations are something that they have, their rights are being violated and they should take action. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. So I was saying beforehand, oh, by the way, listeners, I don't know when this is going to go up, but mm -hmm. we're doing a parenting rights workshop in Brooklyn at Lark Cafe on Church Avenue in, I don't know, whatever, two hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It'll probably go up in the, in between two to four weeks. So not, not unfortunately. Oh, okay, never yeah. mind. <laughs> well, we do do them. Carl Miller PC guys, we're the best. We do that on a monthly basis. <laughs> I'll, definitely, them... I'll definitely put information on our website. Yeah, about yeah, that. yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So with the workshop that I'm going to be doing, something that I really want to emphasize uh, to the individuals attending, and again, like dads, negotiate for family leave. This isn't just the mom's gig. Like, absolutely, get in there, change those diapers. This is something that you do have control over. And like, just what I want women uh, in particular, because I feel like sometimes there is a reluctance on women's part to really engage in heartfelt, earnest, you know, negotiations is that you do have, you know, leverage here. You do have leverage. I want you, each of your listeners to recognize her worth and go toe to toe with that employer and be like, no, I want this. Put together a plan in advance. Talk to other women who have taken leave in your company. Uh, read that manual, familiarize yourself with the laws in your city, state, and of course, like federally, we went over FMLA, so you're pretty good there. But just really go in there with a plan and then make it a negotiation, not like a one-way conversation with your employer. I want this, well, that's too bad, I can only give you this. Well, go back and forth, you know, and swing high at first, and expect to come down. Don't enter with exactly what you want at first. I want you to like enter with more. If you want four months off, ask for five, ask for six. If you want eight weeks paid, ask for 10. Swing high and then come down from there. This is a negotiation just like anything else. Recognize your worth and walk in there with bullet points as well. Be like, I make the motherfucking coffee in the morning. I make sure the schedule is up to date. You know, make sure you let your employer know exactly how valuable you are in both little ways and big. So this is kind of just like approaching family situations that involve your work availability the same way you would approach other kind of work anything else related things anything like asking else. for a promotion or a job or for an evaluation okay so, speaking of negotiations i had a question about that someone said if uh you were in the early stages of pregnancy but it wasn't yet obvious physically and you were looking for a job when should you disclose that after you get the job yeah <laughs> after okay. you get the job absolutely okay. Okay. Another question was whether or not somebody else in academia was eight months pregnant, 
was in an elevator and two male colleagues were verbally complaining about another professor who had came back from maternity leave and it had been two months and she hadn't produced a single piece of usable data. And once you have a kid, you can't expect anything from women anymore. Should she have reported that? Yes, yes, in a heartbeat. <laughs> to whom? <laughs> Let's talk about the, the pragmatism. <laughs> How should she report it? What could she do? Email, email, email. Put everything in writing. So should she email the people who said it directly or should she just kind of email HR and cut them out of it? You know, it's funny. I um, I can be a very combative person, so I probably would have said something like instantaneously in that elevator. But, you know, I, I appreciate that not everyone is like that. But you know what? After the fact, well, what I would do is HR and then those douchebags supervisors. And also, like, if there is, again, I don't know what institution this is, but if there is a union presence, absolutely CC that union. CC that union. So in terms of emailing supervisors, just somebody who is occasionally involved in academia and and the culture is really space by space and lab by lab. But if there is a department where these kinds of things would like emailing the supervisor that this person said women can't do shit after being pregnant or after having babies. So what if your read on the culture of that department is that that would not get them in trouble with the supervisors, but would get you in trouble as somebody who is pushing against the status quo when you're about to be useless to them? (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, it it, it very much, you raise an excellent point. And I'm just thinking about the cultures because you only know what you know, personally speaking, that either in my prior workplace or my current workplace would not happen. Uh, That would not be tolerated. But that being said, you raise an excellent point. My first instinct was to not include them, not include the offending individuals in the email. My first instinct was to go straight to HR. Like that, that was my first gut instinct. But also like, you know, to the extent that there is a labor presence in the department, that's an important resource as well. But also like student, you know, like graduate student, you know, like blogs, I would drop an anonymous hint. You know, I was in the elevator with so-and-so and then, or it could, you know, like two older gentlemen who staffed the biology lab on Tuesdays <laughs> and Wednesdays. And they said that, you know, women can't do shit after they pop a kid out of their uterus. You know, like I would probably, if you, if you can't do it in as a direct manner, then go around them. HR and, you know, any other, you know, resources that you feel like would be an excellent way to publicize the misogynist culture that apparently is still present in that particular workplace. Because mm-hmm. it's not going to go away if we stay silent. You know, I was before a judge for many years and she's since like partially retired, but she was great. And she saw me through like different stages of my career. And one of her favorite things to say was Caroline, a closed mouth never gets fed. Mm. So, you know, like open up that mouth. Like if you can do so in a way that won't, you know, like it cause any potential damage. And it, despite the fact that I'm being pretty brazen right now, I am at heart pretty conservative when it comes to like the potential of like large impacts on careers. Never do anything that you feel like is just motivated by vendetta. 
mm-hmm. and it may get you in trouble. But, you know, definitely, you know, to the extent that you could do it discreetly, fuck those guys. So here's a question from a uh, male listener. He uh, was a postdoc in academia, lots of academia questions, partially a bias and partially I think uh, it's a place where people have a somewhat privileged in terms of education, but also it's, it's really hard to get ahead. So he was a postdoc. He took uh, three weeks FMLA after the birth of a child, and he got an email from his supervisor that said, why did you have to go and have a kid when you already had no time? Is that um, legal? <laughs> that's funny because that definitely is – because I've seen that like in my firm that I now work at, like these kind of crass, unappealing comments. That I don't think is actionable. You know, like, is it legal? I mean, yes. Is it right? No. And while it's offensive, I don't think it's on the offensive meter as offensive as uh, the other comment that you shared with me with the two older uh, people in the elevator and the pregnant woman. Mm -hmm. You know, in that case, it, it would not be inappropriate for him to email back and say, I find that offensive. The first three weeks of my child's life was really important to me, you know, but I do look forward to, you know, it's the classic, like, no, yes, no, or yes, no, yes, whatever. Just like, I look forward to working with you, you know, despite the presence of, you know, a baby in my life or whatever, like at the end. So like, don't do that again, but I look forward to moving forward from this experience. I worked in an environment where, um, Fellow employees were generally professional, but uh, a lot of clients were fairly inappropriate. And so I feel like I have a really good, quick, like, yeah. oh, well, that's inappropriate. Like, really, pl- like, pleasant sounding, but very clearly, like, stating that's inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed in my own experiences, just like in life, if someone says something that's, like, really, like, out of line, Saying, like, that's not appropriate or alternatively, what I've found works well is that makes me really uncomfortable. Please stop. Like that automatically makes people back off. So that's one that I have employed with success in the past. You know, like that makes me uncomfortable. Please don't say things like that. So I have another question, and this is just kind of for your opinion. What do you think about corporations that have... Um, you know, obviously operating in states with no paid maternity or paternity leave, right. but that have policies where you it's paid, but they only start paying you after you've been back for three months. Do you think that's exploitative or do you think that's like at least you're getting something? Well, I would like to see the leave policy so long as it could be this sort of thing where it's like, you know, I have my kid on January 1st. I take just unpaid leave or max out my vacation sick sick pay, you know, New York state paid. Oh, this in this hypo, it's not New York state. Never mind. So I take my vacation or sick leave, whatever, for six months, come back for three months and have another three months with my now six month old. I think that's okay. So long as it's structured in that way and you're able to take unpaid leave first, I do not think that that's exploitative. Uh, However, on the flip side, if they, uh, well, there's FMLA. So long as you are able, this company doesn't break the law and prohibit you from taking advantage of FMLA, I think it's okay. What are your feelings on it, out of curiosity? 
Um, the person who uh, had this happen to them, you know, was kind of like, I'm glad that I got something, but I felt like it was being held over my head because they had a certain attitude that I was going to quit just because I had a child. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these things are so corporate culture dependent. If there is that sort of vibe in the company, that's not great. But I do stand by what I said, like... Three months pay full salary in this hypothetical? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, still, that's way more than so many people get. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually pretty okay if, you know, they're, again, able to take the FMLA. They come back for three months, and then they can take three more months off with their kid. Mm -hmm. That's pretty great. I had a question. I I just uh, recently binge watched The L Word, and uh, I don't I don't know if you need to give a spoiler alert for like a ten year old show, but um, <laughs> so there is uh, a trans man character who is pregnant in the last season, and I'm curious if the legal protections for somebody who has legally changed their gender would apply to a pregnant trans man. This is such a great hypothetical. Like, I, I love it. It's like I'm back in, like, cool version of law school. Um, <laughs> so, yes, under this hypothetical, absolute, all the protections for a person giving birth mm-hmm. are still in place. Because these laws, FMLA, the New York State Paid Family Leave Act, and New York State Disability, they're all worded in such a way where it's like the person giving birth. You know, you have a child or alternatively, even with FMLA, it's you welcome a child into your home via uh, being a foster parent or an adoptive parent. So either way, this individual is absolutely able to take advantage of the leave that a cis woman would be able to take advantage of. Yeah, totally fine. Uh, Although I don't think this is really your question, and I'm definitely getting into murkier waters. If you're talking about, like, discrimination based on, like, gender, I think that's a little bit... I, I think it's clear that you know, trans individuals are absolutely protected, but I think the analysis needs to be a little bit deeper. So in what ways? It's very fact specific. It would really depend on the type of discrimination that this individual experienced. You know, I think if it was a person transitioning from M to F and, or better yet, from F to M, and then they would argue that they were somehow discriminated against as a female, I think you would have to really look at the facts of the situation. I think it, it uh, discrimination, as we are all very well aware, exists in all places and times and against all people uh, virtually. But I think you would need to do a very careful analysis in order to craft a legal argument that would best address the discrimination that that person would just like the best legal analysis possible. You would have to be very, very particular. This is because we don't have gender yet, right, in New York State, right? Because that's the law that extends. It makes it illegal to discriminate against people on basis of transgender status, but we don't have that in New York State yet. Right, yes. So yes. that's why it would be right. a, a tricky situation. 100%. Gender is absolutely a uh, protected class. You cannot discriminate against someone on the basis of gender. But on virtual, exclusively on the basis of being a trans individual, no. But the New York State human rights law does protect against people being discriminated against 
on the basis of their sexual orientation. So depending on the type of discrimination that, again, it's very fact specific, but depending on the type of discrimination that this person experienced, you just would need to be very, very specific in terms of the way I, I'm assuming that this person would have retained counsel. Counsel would have had to be very specific regarding the way that they word the complaint. So specifically in terms of pregnancy protections, is the language in the pregnancy protection gender specific or not? I don't believe so. No. And it's funny because I just re-reviewed them this morning. When the laws were written, I do not believe that it was done with this in mind, but it's all gender neutral. It's like the person giving birth, person, you know, welcoming a child into their family. It's all gender neutral. Mm -hmm. That's like finding out Oreos are accidentally vegan. Like it was accidentally (laughs) covering. Still probably past gender, so oh, tell yeah. your state senators mainly IDC. Yeah, and all oh, that yeah, stuff. yeah. I mean, absolutely. So again, but full disclosure, I have never. But I look forward to that challenge. Although I hope I don't have to have it because it would be terrible for a person to be discriminated against in that way. But I have never litigated a case where a trans person was discriminated against on the basis of pregnancy, or just a trans person was discriminated against in general. So I have never actually encountered that fact pattern in my professional career. So full disclosure, I think what I said was right. But in the event that it's not, I encourage your listeners to email me. And then I will absolutely, if they find out after the fact that that isn't correct, email me and I will do my legal research and we will discover the answer together. So a topic that uh, I did not know that you covered, because first you just said gender and pregnancy discrimination. You said you also cover sexual harassment. I do. I do. You have a heavy caseload. <laughs> you have a lot, <laughs> lot going on. So do we, do we want to, so since it, we're recording this on October 8th, do we want to talk about Harvey Weinstein? Ooh, are we going to wade in there? Um, sure. I have very limited time. Um, oh, my. <laughs> Well, I feel like it's a really limited topic of discussion. He's a sexual harasser. (laughs) It's so funny that you say that because I was was talking to my husband. I was like, Steve, quick, what do you think about Harvey Weinstein? He was like, he's an asshole. Why are you asking this? I was like, I know, but I want to be prepared for a podcast that I'm going to talk on. He's, He's bad. And I was, you know, like, of course, he's terrible. But I was reading a Chicago Tribune article on him in preparation for this very question. And they raise an excellent point. You know, like other guys are terrible because they're predators, but he's worse because he was wearing, you know, this feminist clothing. He was a wolf in feminist clothing. You know, he would, you know, give money and, you know, attend Planned Parenthood fundraisers. And yet there he was, you know, leveraging his power against women in hotel rooms. Yeah, in in a well-known and documented way, yet no consequences Mm -hmm. came to him for it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's unfortunate because, like, the women who were implicated as being involved, you know, are, like, very Mm well-known and very powerful in their own way. I mean, Ashley Judd, God bless her, you know, was very political and very involved in the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. And yet still she found herself in a position where she was victimized. And I feel like that is horrific but not surprising because that, again, is – you know, sort of indicative of the world that we live in. You get yourself, you know, as a woman, it's 
unfortunately a possibility that you'll get yourself in a position or you'll find yourself in a position where, you know, there's a gentleman in a position of power and all of a sudden you don't quite know how to handle it. And it's, it's really, it's, it's unfortunately not uncommon because it's a line of work that I am engaged in and I have seen it and, um, it's very unsettling. Like women, yeah, I, I was litigating this one case where a complainant went to a very well-respected women's college and she was like, you don't understand for four years, you know, I railed against this behavior and it, it happens and you just have to be just as prepared as you can for that instance when it does occur. So a lot of what I've been seeing in response to what happened with Harvey Weinstein is you have so much more to lose to fight it than to just eat it, stuff it, get out of there. And so what would you say to women who are having that reaction? Harvey Weinstein, man, you know, like king of independent movies, it, it's hard. You know, it, it's very, very hard. I wouldn't say eat it and stuff it. Like, I, I would not as- subscribe to that, you know, for women who unfortunately are in more privileged positions to do so. You know, um, if going back to the hypothetical, Liz, that you uh, posed in the beginning of the podcast, when you have like a pink collar worker, someone who is not unionized and someone who is very much at the mercy of their employer, then I would say it's more the possibility to like cut and run. But if you have any leverage at all, at all, fight it, you know, like any leverage at all. But, you know, I I am cognizant of the fact that that is a very privileged position to take. But, you know, folks like Ashley Judd and Rose McGowan, you know, like, I I would like to see people of that stature coming forward. Because, you know, for every person that does have, like, household name recognition, there are many people that don't and have much less leverage. But I still want to see them come forward because they're not powerless. Just like the negotiation, you know, discussion that we were having earlier, you are not powerless. And by virtue of the fact that you have a voice, I want you to use your voice. Even if it comes, even, even, even if it comes in the form of you saying, you know, fuck you, I'm going to get counsel and I'm going to negotiate like a severance package that I wouldn't be able to do so anyway. Even that is better than just like cutting and running. Would you have any advice for men in workplaces where they see other men engaging in these behaviors, not directly to themselves, but to their female colleagues? How could men ally themselves? Oh, my God. You know, like, be the ally to the person who may have trouble finding their own voice. There's very, oh, God, like, if there was ever, I just think about, like, what I would want my husband to do. My husband is an attorney as well, and he works in a very small law office. And this would never happen there. I feel fairly confident. But, like, if he ever witnessed that sort of behavior, woe betide him if he didn't, you know, like, say something to the person who is harassing their female colleague, you know. that And, and my son as well. I have a five-year-old son, and I hope I am raising him in a way that very clearly demonstrates you have to stand up. I like you have to keep yourself safe, of course, but you have to stand up to um, people who are victimizing others. But then somebody might get mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
Somebody might yell at you or not like you anymore. <laughs> I know. It's so hard. It's so hard. I mean, bring them, bring in brownies for the office. I mean, whatever. You'll be fine. Um, but, you know, like I am, despite, you know, being a fairly abrasive person in some regards, I am also a very big people pleaser. So that is a tension, you know, that I think a lot of women have to like deal with. It's like, oh, but they have to like me. You know, I have to be or, like beloved in the office. Or I'm the one who will be creating conflict. I'll be a troublemaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard, that's a hard label. And I, I get that. But just imagine how beloved you will be by the person who you are standing up for. You will have like a new work wife by your side. <laughs> <laughs> so Caroline, I know you said you have to go. Uh, how can people contact you? If they would like to. Yeah, yeah, no, please email me. My work email is chp at crummiller.com. And this is just such an important conversation to have. If there is a trans person out there who is pregnant and has been discriminated against, you know, like, come to me. <laughs> like, I, I want to help you. It's my pleasure and duty to use my law degree in this way. Great. My, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Cherry Pie, P-I like the number pie. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Karen, U-H-K-A-R-E-N. Thank you so much and have a great day. It was day. amazing talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. The Political Flavored Feminist Coffee Hour podcast theme song is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth. You can listen to her music at soundcloud.com slash Bridget Ellsworth. And you can listen to her other songs there as well. And if you like what you hear, you can give her a like or even a follow.